word that describes hardship um, here in Hilo, uh, specifically what's going on in the Mauna, and it's the word called injustice. Uh, injustice happens in all shapes and forms, and what I want us to be very clear is though we worship a sovereign God, there's some injustice things that goes on in this world that we have to make sure our eyes is on the gospel. Can I get a witness there? As a Hawaiian by blood, born and raised here, it breaks my heart on the division that's going on in our society today. But nevertheless, I have to remember this big, valuable truth that my, my citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is of heaven. Uh, I made a joke, and I make a joke many times with our alaka'i and our leaders of our church. I said, if I wasn't a believer in Jesus, I would be a Hawaiian activist. And I would be a pretty good one. I would get people to follow me, to help out the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii to be restored and give back what's owed to them. But you and me both know the only thing we deserve, whether you're Hawaiian or Hawaiian at heart or whatever you are, the only thing we deserve is a slap in the okole. We all deserve what the scripture says, hell. Every one of us. The book of Isaiah says that there's not one righteous person outside of God. He alone is righteous. You may say, I agree with that, Kahu. I just cussed out my, my spouse this morning. I agree. Oh, I just was very horrible to my keiki this morning. We all fall short of the glory of God, and the commonality is that we have something very unique in store, and that we're fallen people that needs what that song says, a resurrecting king. And so we come to this reality. Summer is almost done, right? Great things has happened through the summer, and what we've seen. How many of you feel like summer went by too fast in this room? Can I get an amen, right? I mean, I know it's went back too fast, but color my teachers, I'm ready to kick these kids out of my house for a couple of months, all right? Can I get a witness, parents, out there, all right? And we're going to pray for you teachers, your kumus and all that. God bless you guys for your guys calling and being a part of the gospel. But the reality is there's some things that can outweigh the joy we've had this summer, right? We can look at some of the small little challenges we have, and it outweighs all the good things God has done. Let me remind you what God did this summer. Anybody remember Tita Jaren? Right, Hazelton? She's got married. We got to be a part of that journey. Everybody remember VBS, Vacation Bible School, a couple of weeks ago? Right, we had, we had Keiki giving to the Lord. We had Keiki memorizing scripture. We had Keiki singing worship songs. We were living the gospel out with these Keiki. How many of you guys know what's going on this week, right? Me and Ulu, along with my mentor and his church, are going up to Tokyo, Japan, to be partnered with our church plants in Japan and advance the gospel. And if you did not know about Japan, Japan is the second largest lost nation, unchristian nation in the world. Less than 3.3%, listen to me, less than 0.3% consider themselves to be Christian, all right? The only less than point is Christian. And so that means that if 127 million people will take their last breath here on earth, right, it wouldn't be in the presence of Jehovah. 
it would be in the presence of Lucifer. The Bible is clear about that. Yes, we are one of those churches that preach about hell in this, in this society, in this culture, in this context. And so God is not pleased with that, so we should not be pleased with that. And that's why we invest in nations like Japan, in nations like Vietnam, in these areas where our international mission board partners are involved in investing the gospel in. And one of the most exciting things I want to share today about the summer that encourages me is my time with my family. Many of you guys know that me and Lane can't have children biologically. And four years or five years ago when we planted the church, God allowed us to be a part of foster care. And in the midst of foster care, God allowed us to adopt three beautiful boys and we're fostering one more baby. And here's joy in that. God promises that whether you are fostered or whether you're Hanai or whether you're Coco by blood, you know, every believer has been adopted. Every one of us has been adopted. And so that's the platform today. We're an expository preaching church, meaning we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. We took a break on the gospel of Mark, verse by verse. And we ended in chapter 4. And now we're moving on to, we moved on to the book of Titus. And we have two more weeks and we'll be Pauhana with this text. But there's one main theme of Titus. And the main theme of Titus is that God's grace is poured out on sinners like us. I want you to see the joy of this summer that we're walking through this book. Because this book, if there's any book that is in connection that looks like Hilo, Hawaii, it's the book of Titus. Right? Titus explains island ministry in all its fashions. Good, bad, pretty, ugly. And there's one major theme that God is screaming through Paul to Titus, and that his grace is poured out on sinners like you and I. We learned last week in our first part of chapter 3 on the, the importance of discipleship and the importance of doctrine. And a reminder that the letter of Titus was written specifically to pastors and church leaders. And we looked at first part that this is how Christians should behave in the fellowship. But last week we learned about how Christians should behave outside of the fellowship. Because there is one thing that's very consistent in our westernized understanding of the gospel. And there's a different face in Sunday morning service to where Sunday afternoon when you're at home. Can I get a witness there, right? There's a difference, right? You're all holier than thou in Sunday morning service. And I promise you, some of you are going to go home and you're going to be the example that I'm preaching today. You laugh because you know it's true, right? And here's my joy. My joy and hope, and because I love you, I want to tell you the truth, that you would be the same person. You'd be the same person built on doctrine, built on what we've been listening to about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to read this text to you with all sincerity, and I want us to look at chapter 3 of the book of Titus and reread all the way from chapter 1, I mean from verses 1 to verse 11, and I want us to break down the last few verses that we did not cover from last week. Ho'omau kaukau. Will you rise with me in the reading of God's word? It says this in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every what? Good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once what? Foolish. Tell your neighbor, neighbor. Foolish. 
you was on foolish bugger. Not booger, bugger. Individual, all right? For we ourselves are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, Savior, appeared, He, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out on us richly through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, not ours, His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And here's our verses for today. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and what? Worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him or her and then twice have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is wrapped and warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Lord, may we not be self-condemned people in this room. May we be people who have experienced your grace, who have experienced your mercy, and may we no longer live counterfeit lives of the gospel or masquerade lives of the gospel, but we will be transparent of our sins and, Lord, the result of it would be your glory and our joy. We love you. God's Ohana says, Amen. Nohoilala. You may be seated. This is a season where our alaka'i is preparing for our Project 20. Every year, right around June, we prepare for the next year in advance. So right now, Project 20 is preparing for what God is going to do through us in our mission for 2020. So we've planned out the first six months already, what that looks like. And for the next two months, we're going to plan out the last six months. And this is what's happening, right? The truth of the statement is very true, that when we fail to plan... We plan to fail, all right? That's not on the screen, all right? I didn't come up with that. I'm not that smart, all right? The reality is when we fail to plan, we plan to fail. And so we believe just as Paul is planning for Titus and developing Titus and preparing Titus for the mission and how to behave in the church as a leader and outside the church as a follower of Christ, it is intentional that he puts some planning in step. Galatians says it this way. It's not on the screen. But if you walk in the flesh, right, here are the results of the flesh. It goes on to say all these things we just said in Titus. But he says, if you are in the spirit, keep step with the spirit. So our heart is this, that just like Paul and Titus, that we would plan well for the sake of the gospel to advance here in Hilo. Specifically, what's going on in our Ohana groups. Two months from now, we're going to kick off Ohana groups. And if you're not a part of Ohana group, I'm going to be very honest with you. It's impossible for you to grow just coming on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is easy. Why? Because you just sit down and you listen to me, Okahu Marcus, preach. Can I get a witness out there? 
I'm food speeding, uh, food a spoon feeding you. Pray for me while I preach today, all right? The reality is I'm giving you food, but what you do with it matters. That's why we believe true community can only take place in smaller groups. We call Ohana groups, and whatever you call Bible study, cell groups, whatever it is today, we call it Ohana groups. We believe everyone in this room must be guided in Ohana groups. And Paul is making it very clear to Titus, this is how you're going to be successful. With the grace God has given you, now it's time for you to live that out in these pockets of groups starting with your leaders. We're at the point of the church where the only people that I invest in in smaller groups is our alaka'i. And I have one small little football coach group that meets at my house during a group season. And we believe this is more beneficial for me because that's where I can minimize the chaos of ministry. Can I get a witness out there, right? Ministry will kill you. Doing stuff for God is the love affair before a true love affair. We think doing stuff for God is the goal of our, that's not the goal. The goal of every Christian life, as we learned last week, is to know God. And the daily goal is to spend time with God. And that is fleshed out as we are involved in small pockets of community. And so Paul is delegating this to Titus with the leaders of the churches in Crete. And there's two more things that we see unfolding from last week. The first thing, the third thing we see is devotion. In verse 8. Paul uses these Greek words. The saying is trustworthy. I Meaning, brah, if there's anything you can hold on to, listen to. If there's anything you can listen to, it's this. Listen up and take heed, embrace it, and do it. This is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, Titus, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote. All right? Another word for devote is the word godliness used in chapter 1 in the first few verses of the book of Titus. To be godly means to be devoted. The opposite is true. To be ungodly means to be not devoted. And there's true meanings to this, that, that what we see here, he says this, these are things that are excellent and profitable for people. And so here's two things I want us to learn about devotion. Number one, devotion is the result of belief. Paul says in this word, the word believed. The word believed could also mean is continually believing. It's the Greek word pisyo'o. Say it with me. Pisyo'o, right? And it basically means this. It's a word that is derived from the word faith. However, it is not, listen to me, it is not saving faith. It's not the faith we see in Ephesians 2, 8, where it says, I've been saved by grace through faith. It's a different word out of faith. It actually means an entrusted kind of faith, meaning this faith allows you to operate in this life. Are you with me today? It's the word pis yo, and it literally comes from this understanding that because we're saved, the way we operate as Christians in the church and outside of the church is with this entrusted faith. And it's connected with the Greek word pistis, which is saving faith. When we are saved, pistis, in Christ through faith, then the overflow of that is the word pisyo'o, which means to operate in that faith. And I want you to see this very clear. This is the only time in all of Scripture we see this word 
pisio'o. Never again do we see it in any other text of the Bible. It's fully found in this. And I want us to examine two questions about this understanding of entrusted faith. Question number one, who is the belief in? Well, say the Sunday school answer, everybody. Jesus, right? It's in God, right? Paul shares this belief with the Christian Romans in the area of both saving faith and entrusted faith. Romans 10 says it this way, because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You see a, a, a rhythm of saving faith and entrusted faith. It goes on to say, for the heart, one believes and is justified. Well, the, is that entrusted, right? Or is that saving faith? What do you think? It's saving faith. It goes on to say, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Saving faith again. We see this belief system that only comes from the gospel, that this is why we believe. We believe that God does the work, and our response is still God. We see uh, question number two. What are, we what are we to be devoted to? The answer is found in our text. We are to be devoted to good works. If you are godly, then you're going to be devoted to what God has called you to. Now, good works is much more than you just helping out the society, all right? Community service. The good works he's talking about is the proclamation of the gospel. Look at Matthew 5, 16. It says this, in the same way, let your light, what? Shine before others so that they may see your, what? Good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is very clear. Good works points to Jesus. The text is very clear. Jesus himself is saying these words on the, mount, on the mountain we call the Beatitudes. And this is what he's saying. Let your light shine. And the result of you shining your light is making much of God. See, devotion, true devotion, biblical devotion, leads to proclaiming the good works of Jesus Christ. You guys saw that? It's not just you feeding the homeless, though that is good. It's not just you helping out the football team, like many of you do in this group, because that's our local mission. No, no, it's more than that. We're proclaiming the good works of Jesus Christ. What is such a big deal about Jesus? Well, because of Jesus, sinners can have life in God. That is the gospel. That is the greatest message we have today in this room. If all we preach about, right, is modern-day prophecy and healing, we've lost focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me address eschatology, the teaching of the end times. If all we're concerned about is the second coming of Jesus, you're forgetting about the gospel because there's many people in this world who hasn't heard about the first coming of Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus, his works, what he has accomplished, what he continues to do on the cross. And so we see this clearly that devotion is the result of belief. But number two, devotion must be handled with care. The word care is only mentioned one time in the Bible. Specifically here in verse 8, Titus chapter 3, it says it means to handle your devotional life with sincere thoughtfulness. Let me get real with you guys all the time. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just check your own heart, would say that you have a continual rhythm of devotion every morning, every day, right? Because what this text is saying is that our devotion should be handled with care. 
The picture of care in the Greek language is an idea of maintenance. Like our car, which needs maintenance. Like our broken lawnmowers. Can I get a witness, Kahu Marcus and the maintenance guys on the church campus? Right? It needs maintenance. Only one of you laugh because you don't do enough yard work at the church. All right, our maintenance on bulb fixtures. Can I get a witness? Find, uh, I mean, facility team here, right? They're, they're, it need, this facility needs maintenance. And just like our devotion, our devotion to God needs maintenance. How do we put maintenance on our devotion with God? We have to spend time with God. It's not good enough for you to choose Sundays as your only time to spend time with God. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to be in right fellowship with God if you're thinking this is what's going to make you right with God. No. God has called you to go by yourself through Jesus to spend time with him. I want you to hear this biblical truth. The priority of our lives must be an active pursuit of intimacy with God. All right, now if you believe that with me, I want you to say that loud and proud. All right, one, two, three. The priority of our lives must be an active pursuit of intimacy with God. How can you know God if you're not spending time with God? How can you know His doctrines, the theology, the study of God, apart from spending intentional time with God? Not for the sake of becoming more theological, but for the sake of falling in love with Him. How can that happen? I mean, my wife and I are going to celebrate 11 years in like three weeks, right? We're going to celebrate 11 years together. I know some of you old-timers are like, that's only 11 years, Hawaiian. Wait till you get 30. I get it. We're going to get there. We're going to get by the grace of God. We're going to get But the reality is I'm still learning about my wife. What moves her? What ticks her off? Can I get a witness, husbands out there, right? I'm still learning about those kind of things, right? And likewise, vice versa. But it takes time spent together to stay together. Thank God for the gospel. That he gives us this time to know each other. And some of us, we're in different phases of our lives. Some of us, we're hurt. Whether it's in ministry and personal life. And the answer is God. Right? As easy as it sounds, it's hard to apply. But this is what the gospel says. That godliness is devotion. And we get that through saving faith, what God gives us. And through entrusted faith, what God continues to give us to trust in him. So the priority of our lives must be active pursuit of intimacy with God. Number four, and then we'll be Pauhana. Discernment. In both verses 9 to 11, we see discernment. In fact, discernment literally means to taste and to understand. For someone to, to, to identify what discernment means, they taste a situation but not only taste it or experience it, they also understand the situation. Sinclair Ferguson says this about discernment. Discernment is the ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between and recognize the moral implications of different situations and courses of action. Paul tells Titus in verses 9 to 11, right? Very clear, Titus, this is how you should discern situations and how you should respond to them. Here are two action steps we see in our verses today. Number one, avoid foolish conversations. Can I get a witness out there, right? We all are guilty. Let me say that again. We all in the South there say, y'all are guilty of this very reality. If we had it our way, and we do at times, 
we will always talk smack. Can I get a witness out there? Right? And you know, in about two weeks, Coach Ian and I are getting ready for football season. In two weeks, it's legal to put shoulder pads and helmets on these football players, right? And we're going to point out who's the smack talkers and who can really hit. Can I get a witness out there, right? We're going to see who can really put their, their, their feet to the plow, right? It's a reality. And for us Christians, we can talk the talk. But Galatians questions us, can we walk what we say? Can we be imitators of Christ? What well, Ephesians says, well, the way we address that is we must avoid foolish conversations. And I'll be honest with you guys. Some of you parents in this room, the way you talk to your children, this is speaking directly to you. You should never speak death into your children's life. You should never speak. Because, guess what? The more you speak death, the more you put a curse on yourself and the generations to come. And what he says, here's how we discern living the life of a Jesus follower. Avoid foolish conversations. Verse 9, he says, but avoid foolish controversies. He goes on deeper. Avoid genealogies. Like you Hawaiians inside this community. Well, I'm from the bloodline of King Kamehameha I. Hawaiian, your last name for the last three generations said Kokit. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right, whether you come from Heba Heba, Kamehameha. It really doesn't matter whether you even come all the way from the bloodline of King David. Right? Like, it don't matter. He says, be wary about these conversations. Be wary of dissensions and divisions and quarrels about the law. Right? Don't, don't be so caught up in the Ten Commandments that you forget that apart from Jesus, you can't even live the law. He said, don't get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in all because they're all unprofitable and worthless. It's the opposite of what he shares in verse 8. He says, this is how you live out and that is profitable to, to all people. But this avoiding conversation, if you do not avoid foolish conversation, then you will experience unprofitable and worthless outcomes. This is the opposite of good works. But it is the reality of every church. There is not a perfect church here in Hawaii, here in America, here in the world. Why? Because it's filled with people. And people have issues, right? The truth, I say this all the time. My father told me this when I come in. He said, like, ministry would be amazing if it wasn't for people, right? But if it wasn't for people, we wouldn't have ministry. Like that puts us back on the mission that people have faults and people have failures. And we don't need to put more fault and more failures in our conversation. Uh, we need to avoid those foolish conversations for the glory of Christ. Thank God that he has laid out in front of us what it means to keep our eyes on his son. Right? How? Avoid foolish conversations. Number two, dismiss the unrepented people. This right here is tough, because a lot of churches in Hilo probably don't practice this, but we have very firmly in this church since we planted, we have dismissed people. Now, it was the last thing that we do. We provide grace upon grace, but ultimately, they will decide to do their own thing. Verse 10, you may say, well, well that is mean. That doesn't sound like a good God. Well, I want you to read what verse 10 says. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, all right, this is not a good thing, Heller. He says, after warning him once 
And then twice, see, there's grace upon grace right there, right? God gives the opportunity. Have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is what? Self-condemned. There's going to be a couple things happening in the next month. We've, uh, we've noticed that there's some sin in the church. Every church has it. All right? But not every church will address it the way Titus just said. And what we get to do, we can either be passive about it and be an unbiblical, not God-honoring church, or we can faithfully love people by correcting them in grace and mercy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God, right? To reproof, to rebuke, to correct, and to train up for righteousness. I'm going to let you guys know, those of you who are members of our church, we're coming. And we're coming with grace. We're coming with mercy. I say this because I love you. But those of you who have been out of the fellowship for months without no communication, you forget that you covenant between God and us to, to be in one with the Spirit. Some of you who are mishandling your children, all word, this is Hilo. Hilo is a small town. Even if it doesn't happen in the church, you best believe I can hear it outside of the church. We're going to correct you in love. For some of you who are doing the right thing, we're going to meet with you. And we're going to encourage you to continue to do the right thing. And listen to me. We can blame the situation, your reality, or, listen to me, we can confess to God our deepest need for Him. May we no longer be a church that does not confront the hard issues. But because of God's grace poured out to us, we're going to confront it with grace, with love, with patience. Why? Because that's how God lays it out for us. I want to give you a reminder that both devotion and discernment is not just a Paul and Titus deal. Both devotion and discernment is revealed through the life of Jesus. Jesus in his devotion to God. We see in Mark chapter 1 verse 34 that he went to a desolate place away from people and he did one thing in that desolate place. He prayed. He made his devotional life a priority of his ministry life. Jesus the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of heaven. In Mark 10, 45, in living out this devotion, Jesus even said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and lay my life a ransom for many. Jesus devoted his life also to living out of the overflow of his relationship with the Father to sinners like us. In the area of discernment, specifically in John chapter 2, we see Jesus whipping out a whole group of people out of the temple because of their desecration, desecration on what they made God's house of worship to be. Literally, it said that he used whip 
a whips to whip people out of the temple because of their practices that did not line up with God. And lastly, Matthew 18, Jesus even called people out in their sin. He shared with them how they should respond to issues in the church or issues in the body of Christ. If one person has an issue with one person, don't take it to someone else, go one-on-one. If that person doesn't listen, then you grab someone from the church and you come and you address them in grace. If that doesn't listen, that doesn't work, take it to the church. Let the church deal with them. And if that doesn't work, you see grace upon grace upon grace, it says dismiss them. I'm going to be honest with you. Why come if you're not going to abide? You're just making your life more miserable and our life more miserable. So why don't you be miserable by yourself and allow us to experience joy? Or share your miserableness, right? Be honest, be transparent, and let's find God's healing power together. Can we do that? Can we be transparent? Trust me, you're looking at the thieves of all thieves up on this stage. Because I know Jesus, that doesn't mean I forgot my ways. I know what it means to slander my mother and my father. I know what it means to defile a brother or a sister. I know what it means to stab someone in the back verbally and literally. Can I get a witness out there, right? I'm not preaching from a platform that I'm perfect. I'm preaching from a platform that I am flawed apart from Jesus. I don't need Jesus just for conversion. I need Jesus for my everyday life for sanctification. I need Jesus in me. I need Jesus through me. I need Jesus around me. I need Jesus. And if you need Jesus, say amen. Amen. And here's the biblical truth. When we are faithful to biblical practices, it's the result and reminder that God is faithful to pour out his grace on us. Isn't that ono? Listen to me. When we are faithful to biblical practices, it's the result and reminder that God is faithful to pour out his grace on us. Why? Because we're not simply living biblically for the sake of living biblically. Only God can do that in and through us. So he's given us the gift of faith to be saved, and he's given us the gift of faith to operate in, in this life of flesh. I will quote Dennis Vasquez on this stage today. And it's really quoting Paul, but in Dennis's words, right? It says in Galatians 2.20, right? Bro, I've been crucified with Christ. Coin. It's not me who lives, bro. But it's he who lives. May our lives reveal the person and Lord of Jesus Christ. May our social media look that way. Because he's talking about how we behave outside the church, correct? Too now. May what we see on Sundays and Ohana groups be consistent with what we see outside of the church. Why? Because true devotion means true godliness. And you can't be godly and be warped at the same time. It is through Christ that we get 
to do what we get to do today. Live out the God.